For the next few minutes, I would love to tell and share with you the story of Jesus. Um, in, in a time like this, I, I know for those of you that are familiar with Christianity or maybe have a Christian friend, it's pretty typical for you to have a conversation where maybe that Christian friend or your Christian talking to other Christians, it's oftentimes in these unprecedented crises that we face, uh, obviously nothing to this scale before in our lifetime, we seem to want to give answers, explanations, uh, fix the problem. But I'd like to share with you for a moment a message around the idea of just being here with humanity in this pain and caring and loving. And I think that's a far more valuable, important posture for us to take. So the great thing is this, if you're watching on Instagram Live or YouTube or you're watching on the Church Home app and you're like, I'm not really into Christians, this would be a message that you're probably going to be like, wow, I kind of wish more Christians did what you're saying and so do I and I wish I did it more. So this is going to be a challenging message for me personally and for all those watching, I just want to say that uh, we're all doing the best we can, but maybe, just maybe, these few minutes will help encourage you to live, love, and look like Jesus, which certainly is our passion. Well, I don't want to brag, but tonight I don't even need to open this book because, well, I have this verse memorized. I don't want to brag, guys, okay? <laughs> All right, the truth is I want to preach from the shortest, littlest, tiniest verse in all of Scripture. It's found in John 11 and verse 35. I think it might be coming on the screen right now. But John 11 and verse 35 says this, and I quote, verbatim, Jesus wept. Listen, it took some time, but I memorized it. There you go. Jesus wept. Now, in a moment, I'd like to share with you why that might be one of the most appropriate, applicable, important little verses in all the Bible for 2020 and where we are right now in the world. Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the moments we share. I ask that you would help us to not only hear and listen, but, but understand and experience you. Uh, we ask now, instead of principle, we want a person. We need you. Encounter us, experience us. Thank you for your love. Got to thank you. No matter who is watching, wherever they are in the world, we have far more in common than we don't. We need each other. Help us to have others on our mind and our heart, and we thank you for that. Forgive my friend Graham for sending me that fake news that the Sonics were coming back to Seattle. I'm trying to let go and not be offended. Amen. Graham Bunn, I hope that you're watching because I want to say that was one of the meanest things anyone has ever done to me in my adult life. I was literally sent a text. Did I tell you that about this, babe? I literally was sent. It looked like a proper news. And you know, I don't get links. So I just read this wonderfully professional link that said, the New Orleans Pelicans have decided to move and relocate to Seattle to be the Supersonics by year 2024. I literally thought Seattle was getting Zion Williamson. I was beside myself, running around, and then within minutes, my 15-year-old informed me it was April Fools. I boycotted April Fools today. I want you to know that. I think we've got enough going on, ladies and gentlemen. So I am not into April Fools today, and I have been hurt. Speaking of these unprecedented days and times, uh, as you can tell, I've been married. Married 20 years now. Um, Am I good at marriage? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm kind of experienced, right? And, and I don't want to say that like we have the perfect marriage because nothing could be further from the truth. Chelsea is far more spiritual. I'll just keep referencing Chelsea because she's sitting right here, okay, just for those that know. Um, she's an incredible person. She's very forgiving, very loving, very congenial, kind, strong, beautiful, sexy, wonderful. Did I mention sexy? And uh, you're welcome, babe. Uh, she's like my main audience tonight. How am I doing? Um, so I kind of got the hang of marriage. I think we got a pretty good rhythm. And then came the most disruptive season in the history of our lifetime, right? Here we are. We are in a global pandemic and a quarantine. Now, I got counseling for marriage. We still get counseling for marriage. Again, shout out to Les and Leslie Parrott, our marriage coaches. They're incredible. Les and I are going to have a conversation on Instagram Live coming up. I love Les and Leslie. So we feel like we've kind of in a groove. And then quarantine came. Now, quarantine marriage is not normal marriage, folks. The rules have officially changed. Now, listen, I want to shout out to all my single friends, Bo Swayze, Rye Good, Graham Bunn, older adult men who are like, oh, I wish I was married right now. Do you? 
Do you wish you were married? I was, on a, I was on a group text yesterday, and a buddy of mine who's married with kids, and we're married with kids, and there was three guys on the feed who don't have kids, and they were like, man, I've got some really relaxing times. And my buddy sent a voice memo. He's like, because you have no kids. And that was it. And he was done, and he left the conversation, right? So listen, marriage is awesome. Kids are an amazing addition. But during this quarantine, come on, married people. Come on, single parents with children, you are my superhero. You are incredible. This quarantine, yes, we're staying positive, we're blessed, I love my wife, but quarantine marriage is not normal marriage. We gotta just own that. We gotta accept that quarantine marriage, the rules have changed. I'll give you a few for instances. Chelsea and I have determined we're not going to bed uh, individually. We go to bed at the same time. This is normal marriage rules. Those rules have changed. This is quarantine. Going to bed at a different time now is called getting margin. Before it was called fighting. Now I'm like, baby, are you going to bed? Okay. We're watching different shows now. We don't even watch the same show. Before the quarantine, I'd walk in and be like, babe, are you, are you actually, babe, that's our show. What episode of Love is Blind are you on? That's our show. Now, Chelsea goes upstairs to watch her show. I go downstairs to watch my show. And then this happened last night. And I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, so good. I'm like, me too. Hey, thanks for the margin. Thanks for the time alone. That was incredible. Think about it. Before the quarantine, there were rules that are no longer rules. For instance, we committed. We're not going to fight with each other in front of our three kids, our 15, 13, 11-year-old. Now we fight in front of the kids because we want to be genuine and authentic during this quarantine. <laughs> so the rules have absolutely changed. Someone once told me, you can't yell at your kids. Don't raise your voice. If you're a parent and you're raising your voice, you have scarred your kids. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm yelling at my kids, and I'm just here to admit that right now, right here at church home during our services. And when I raise my voice, I feel, I don't feel like I used to feel before this quarantine. I feel like I'm getting my point across. I feel like I'm being passionate. Um, the rules have changed in marriage and quarantine. One of the rules that comes to mind when it comes to marriage, and this is what I've been taught like as a as a guy, and they say, and these are gross generalizations, bear with me, but they say as a guy in marriage, oftentimes you try to fix your spouse, right? You try to fix your wife. Chelsea will come to me and you're like, you know, I was just really hurt by da-da-da, and I'll be like, well, actually, babe, you're reading the situation wrong. It actually is this, this, and this, and I, I, I felt like compelled over these 20 years, I'm going to fix Chelsea. All the coaching and counseling I've received on marriage has told me this, hey, your wife doesn't want to be fixed. Right? Your wife doesn't want answers. She wants you to be there with her. Right? And, and this is where less and less is stepping in. Like, Judah, do you hear what your wife is saying? When she says she needs to feel seen and heard and loved, what that means is you don't tell her the three things she should change and do better and it'll fix everything. You put your arms around her and you say, babe, I hear you. I love you. That's Inc what you're saying means so much to me. You're such an incredible woman. Come on, let's just hold each other. You want to have sex? No, they, they, they don't say, to say that. <laughs> they, they, you're just supposed to hug her. But if you're like me, I'm like, start hugging her. And I'm like, wait, okay, I'm just supposed to cuddle, right? No sex, just cuddle. But anyways, that's one of the more challenging parts. I have learned over 20 years of marriage, not counting the quarantine, that being a good lister, don't be a know-it-all. Know-it-alls doesn't make for a good marriage at all. It doesn't make for a good relationship at all. That in a good marriage, you learn as a spouse to listen to each other, to be present. Instead of fixing the pain, fixing the problem, you listen to it. You empathize. You share the emotion and go, wow. And you're just there and present. You know what strikes me as absolutely astounding is that God, in all of his beauty, majesty, and the contents of his character, do you know he never plays the role of know-it-all? And yet he does. I want you to think about this for a moment. He doesn't play the role of know-it-all. And we might talk about this a little bit more, but I'm going to take you to the beginning of the whole Bible story. It's called Genesis. You know the first question? One of the first times God even verbally engages with Adam and Eve. He says to Adam this, where are you? Where are you? Now, that's, the equivalent is like Chelsea's sitting right there. It's me to walk up and be like, Chelsea, where are you? And she'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I'm right. you know where I am. Why are you asking, where are you? I want you to think about the most majestic, massive, extraordinary, powerful, incredible being in the universe. That's right. His name is God. He has no equal. He has no needs. 
He lacks no knowledge whatsoever. He has infinite, endless knowledge. And he says what to the very first human beings? He says, where are you? Where are you? And at that moment, if you know the story, Adam and Eve were in pain. Sin was now introduced. Selfishness had caused them pain and guilt and condemnation. And God asks, where are you? God didn't show up and say to Adam and Eve, you're right here. That's condemnation. That's shame. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. In fact, he came with a question. Boy, that just like hits me so hard right now in this global pandemic, in this mandated, nearly global quarantine. As God worshipers, as Jesus followers, are we assuming the same posture? Tell me, where are you? What are you facing? What are you going through? I wonder, as a 41-year-old Jesus follower, I wonder if what the world needs right now is less explanations and answers from people of faith and more listening, care, and love. Asking questions like, where are you? I think about the 800, nearly 850 families, probably more than that if you consider if it was grandparents or a mom or dad or an uncle and aunt, the extended family, right? There are thousands of people in this country who lost a loved one today. I wonder if our posture, instead of saying, well, the pandemic is because of this, the way we'll fix it is because of this. I wonder if like the great God of the universe, the designer of heaven and earth, we could ask questions like, how you doing? Where are you? What's this like for you? And that leads us, of course, to the littlest, tiniest, itty-bitty verse in all the Bible. And yet it is so potent and so powerful and so relevant right now. It says, Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? Let me give you the story in the context, and we won't go much longer. Jesus is crying because one of his closest friends has died. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus has two older sisters, Mary and Martha, and you'll notice in the life and ministry of Jesus, some three and a half years of his public ministry, he spends quite a bit of time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Other than his own disciples, these are some of his closest friends. He's, he has, shares meals with them. I think there's a camaraderie there. We know for a fact that Jesus spent some time in the living room, if you will, of Mary and Martha, and that's a beautiful story in and of itself. By the time we get to John 11, Lazarus has been dead for more than four days. In fact, when Jesus finally shows up, the story goes that Mary and Martha sent a note, basically, and said, will you come? Our brother's dead. Your friend is dead. Jesus delays, doesn't come for four days. Mary and Martha, their heads are spinning. They're like, where are you, Jesus? He finally shows up in the region. I believe it was Mary. She runs out and she says to Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. What took you so long? What held you up? Why were you delayed? And the Bible says Jesus was moved deeply within himself in his spirit. And then all of a sudden, here comes this mysterious, odd verse in all of the New Testament. It says Jesus didn't cry. If you look up the word wept in the original language, he was ugly crying. He was heaving. Tears. You know that kind of cry where it's like, it affects the whole dinner table, or it affects the whole party, or it affects the whole room. You're like, <gasps> you're like, oh, this is not like, you know, I'm tearing up, tears come. This is, this is weeping. He's deeply grieving. And maybe you're watching this going to yourself, yeah, okay, what's the big deal? So Jesus cried because his friend died. We get it. Except the onlookers, some of the Jewish people who are watching, the next verse actually says, verse 36 in John 11, it says, and there was two kinds of explanations for his tears. The first was, wow, look how much he loved him. Look at those tears. That's love. The second explanation is even more interesting. The onlooker said, why is he crying? Couldn't, wait, this is the same guy that healed blind eyes and, and, and those with leprosy. Couldn't he have kept him from dying? Why is he crying? Well, if you read on, it gets even more confusing or puzzling or challenging because just a few verses later, some of you know the story, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He raises him from the dead. Now, if I'm God, right, and Mary walks up to me and says, where have you been for four days? Lazarus wouldn't have died if you would have been there. I would look at Mary and say, Mary, it's me. I'm the man. 
It don't matter how many days late I am. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Any questions? You know, let's set up a Q&A right now. I'll take questions, right? But he, he weeps? He cries? Why? Why does he weep? If you already know the outcome, Jesus, you know, like if we were doing an interview and Jesus was right here, I'd be like, I don't mean to be rude, Jesus, but can you tell us why you're crying? What are you? What's going through your mind right now? Is it true that you are the resurrection? Is it true that you're about to heal him? Yes. Why the tears? And I'm only here tonight to suggest that the same reason Jesus cried is the same reason we should. And yet, if I look at my own life in an effort to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, I find oftentimes in my life an absence of this kind of of grief and empathy. I find myself prone to two things. I find myself wanting to look at the world right now and say to myself and speak to the mind. I want to to explain to everybody, hey, 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 this is why we're in a pandemic, right? And so here here it comes. All All the explanations proliferate. Here they come out of the Christian community. All of the preachers and teachers want to say, if we prayed more, if we prepared more, if we, if we were better, this is God's judgment. And here comes all the explanations. And I've just been around long enough to know it, 41 years old. I wouldn't preach a sermon like this in my 20s, but I'm in my 40s. And we're in a global pandemic. The Bible says it's the truth that'll make you feel free in life. And the truth is the explanations don't tell the whole story. Or... You go, I'm not here to explain it. You can't explain it. So then what we do, we don't speak to the mind, we speak to the heart, right? And here comes the Christian community. We speak to the world. And what we want the world to do is feel a feeling. Here's a feeling. We don't have any explanations, but we have a feeling. So here's the two groups. Some of you are like, I'm not even a Christian. This is interesting. It's true. There's two major groups right now in the Christian faith. And one is we're going to explain it. And the other is we're we're going to give people a good feeling. Come on, you're loved, you're blessed, you're favored, you're, you're surrounded, you're, and all those things are wonderful. You know, church, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't to pray. So if we pray more, God will, and we go to explaining, or we go to giving people a feeling. Can we go back to John 11 and verse 35? Where's Jesus doing that? Lazarus is dead, and if anybody could give an accurate explanation, it'd be Jesus. If anybody could give everyone grieving and watching a feeling, it was Jesus. Instead, we don't even know how long verse 35 took. How awkward, how awkwardly long did tears flow from the eyes of the God-man as he grieved? And all I'm suggesting is if we are in the footsteps of this man, my hero is in John 11:35. 35. My king is in John eleven thirty five. 35. The fulfillment of all the laws and the prophets in the Psalms. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Boaz, on and on, Solomon. They all dreamed of the day where all the 600 plus laws in the Jewish scripture would be fulfilled by the promised Jewish Messiah. And he came and his name is Jesus. And my brothers and sisters, he's not, he doesn't have an explanation He is the explanation. I mean, in terms of fixing people, I mean, Jesus, like, if I had the knowledge of Jesus in this marriage, what a nightmare. I'd always just fix Chelsea. Well, babe, actually, da-da-da-da-da. But yet Jesus seems to be just there in the moment. I want you to think about this. The God who comes from a place called immortality and eternity He enters into linear time and space that he created. And then in John 11, 35, he's probably seated. He probably, and there he sits and he weeps because his friend Lazarus is dead. And yet you're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, real quick. You already know you're going to raise him up. Tell everybody, tell him to stop crying. Tell him to stop crying. Tell him to stop crying. And that's what we want to do sometimes as Christians. Hey, 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 come on. You ever been to a Christian funeral? I love it. I've done this too. You see somebody's lost a loved one. Hey, come on. You're going to see him again. Praise God. Amen. Hell. You, come on. You're good. You're fine. Come on. Trust God. 
It's like, oh, oh, wait, okay, so we're not supposed to have, oh, we're Christians. That means we have only explanations and we hand out feelings, but we don't lament. We don't grieve. So is that our posture? Church home, is that our answer? Let me explain it, and then let me give you a feeling. Or let me give you a feeling, or let me explain it. Where's the mystery? Where's, where's the Jesus followers who are going, this hurts. This is painful. Man, we give him, we give him platitudes and tried answers, and people are dying? And we try to tell people, like, isn't it amazing what was relevant a few weeks ago? How irrelevant is it now? Like, am I going to take time right now to our church to tell you how to improve your career? We're all wondering, including me. What's my career going to be after this? What's it going to be? So then what's actually relevant? Because what's relevant now, I'd like to suggest when this is all said and done, because it will be done. This is going to pass. This too shall pass. When it passes, God help us to remember what we've learned. As painful and as excruciating, as astronomical as it is to even comprehend what's happening in the world today, can we for a moment savor what actually matters? Somebody sent me a quote from my dad who was the, the founder of this church and started what was called City Church, now Church Home, and he he said, the most important thing in life is our relationships. I wonder if sometimes I forgot that. I wonder if you forgot that. You know, one of the reasons I love Jesus is John eleven thirty five, 35. Because I don't serve a know-it-all God, even though he knows it all. Oh, I serve a God who knows it all. But that's not how he carries himself. That's not how he carries himself. He sat there and he cried. Why? And here's why. Because the pain in that moment was still real, even though Jesus was the answer and the antidote. Lazarus will rise again in just a few short verses, but I'm here to suggest that doesn't change the pain. Mary, Martha, Jesus, and family and friends were in that moment. Who is this God? who lives outside of time and yet can grieve within it. Who is that? What kind of grace? What kind of love? What, how pre we always talk about be present. Come on, let's be present. Let's step back for a moment and go, look how present Jesus is. He, he wept. And so I'm reading this passage and I, I'm, I'm coming to a close. And, it says two times, two times, it says he was moved deeply. And um, one of the best English words we have is he was indignant. You ever been indignant? Like, just, oh, you know, you just, it's just interesting because it borders on anger. Jesus was, 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 was agitated, frustrated, grieved, broken because, because this was never the plan. But that's what we do in our explanation. We say, come on, God, God's. God has caused this. Why would Jesus weep if Jesus caused Lazarus to die? That's called manipulation. That's called, that, that's bizarre. No, 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 no. Sin, selfishness, the how free will has also been allowed some liberty within the sovereignty of God has brought this planet into futility. And as a result, there's brokenness, there is pain. And God didn't intend for there to be diseases in this world. You and I were meant to live forever, and we will. But now, now there's pain, there's problems, and I just want to remind you, I was on Instagram Live with a friend of mine, and I was just saying, man, this isn't home. We got to remember, this isn't home. But in our short stay here, there are human beings all around us who are in pain and hurting. Can we just be here? Can we be here? Can we be here? I, not even tomorrow, not even yesterday. Boy, we, the rationalists and the romantics begin to come out as N.T. Wright speaks to recently an article he wrote. Here come the romantics, here come the rationalists, the romantic Christians and the rationalist Christians. I've been both, so I know what I'm talking about. And here they come out to tell the world 
what's actually happening. We don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Heard a newscaster today, a doctor, uh, a, a celebrated doctor in this nation say, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a problem on our hands. This disease seems to be morphing and there is no total consistency why some people are dying quickly and some aren't. We believe the disease is changing. It's morphing. We've got to figure this out. That was on national news today. And I'm sitting there with Chelsea and I'm going, we don't know. So then what do we know? This is not the time to live on what we think we know or what might be true. But what do we do know? We know this God whose character is beyond that which we can fully understand. How does this eternal God grieve in such a temporal place with Lazarus? Because he loves you that much. And so I'm just asking, I'm asking our church just for a moment, if you would allow me, I realize there's always guests at church home, but if you allow me as the pastor of church home to speak to our community, I'd like to do that just in conclusion here. Um, and I'm at 26 minutes, which is longer than last week, but I blame people on Instagram who told me to go longer. So it's their fault, it's your fault. But I wanna say this to our church. Um, I am asking that church home um, would be different. I'm asking that we would not be a community that disseminates explanations and feelings that frankly are trite, incomplete, and they have plenty of holes in them. Oh, I've never prayed more, but prayer is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Church home, we exist not to disseminate principles, but to simply say, there's somebody who will weep with you and grieve with you, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you so much. But why did it happen, Pastor? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I've done so many funerals, and I remember a mom walking up to me, and I'm not trying to be emotional, I'm just trying to be honest. She walked up to me because her baby girl um, was tragically killed, and I was asked to do the funeral. She was a part of our youth group at the time. I was a youth pastor. And she grabbed me physically grabbed my jacket and she said tell me why my baby died and I looked at her and I didn't know a lot at that point I still had a, I was I was pretty young and I had enough sense probably because of friends and stuff I, I said ma'am I don't know I don't know but I do know that she's in the arms of Jesus I do know that and we just held each other and we cried you know I'm not gonna stand here talking to our church live and say that we got answers, like in terms of explanations and feel like, what, what do we have? Well, we have a God who wants to ask the world, where are you? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you terrified? Are you anxious? Are you unsettled? Is your head spinning because you're wondering to yourself? Who am I now? Just got a call, I got laid off. Just got a call, I, I mean, I ran into a friend of a friend and heard that he had, that day they'd laid off some 80, 90 people. Business owner. Does your mind wander to the 80, 90? Maybe it's you and you're watching this and you're going, man, I know what you're talking about. I'm here to tell you there is a God who will be there with you in that pain. And here's what I was trying to say like 10 minutes ago, and I'll say it in conclusion. Two times the Bible says he was moved deeply. And so this was my prayer, and I give it to you, church. Maybe we could pray it together this week. God, deeply move me. Deeply move me. Move me with the same empathy and the same grief and the same compassion you had. I figured something out in these last few weeks, and I don't understand it all. Man, the more I put myself in somebody else's situation, the more I get a sane and sober perspective of my own situation. And it's like all the stuff that gets me worked up when I start thinking about those families who lost a loved one today in this country. It's amazing how some of the things that want to totally dominate my emotions just fade. So I just want to say, 
How wonderful is Jesus? How wonderful is Jesus? There it is. He wept. And I know this might seem odd to people, but we serve a God who right now is weeping over the nations of the world that are grieving the loss. We are almost at 50,000 human beings that have slipped into eternity. We were made to live forever, and that's one of the reasons God weeps over the earth. And so I just want to say, God, use our church as a conduit of that grief. I don't, I don't want explanations right now. Don't even need a feeling as much as I need to know what it's like for my fellow man to go through this. I love Jesus. I love you, Jesus. He's so magnificent. He's so wonderful. He's changed the world as we know it. And I end with this, our hope at Church Home, our hope is not our mere explanation or our earthly wisdom. Our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he said this to Martha and Mary, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? He said, yet though you die, you shall live forever. You'll live forever end of the day, I'm going to bed on that one. I'm going to lay my head on my pillow tonight going, though they die, yet they will live forever by simply receiving the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus is God, church, and he's changed the world. And he's a compassionate, loving, caring God. So if we simply believe, we have this hope. Though we die, we shall live forever. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I thank you for these moments that we share. And I'm overwhelmed and I'm undone to think of the depth of your care, your concern, and your empathy. God, I'm going to pray your story right back to you. You said, you said I could cast all my cares upon you because you so intimately care for me. I pray collectively for our community and for our church right now all over the world. In this moment, simultaneously, we just cast, push, slide across the table all these fears, worries, and anxieties. Why? Because you are right here in this pain with me. You care. And sometimes we just need to know there's somebody who cares. And I thank you for that. If you're here and you're watching wherever you are and you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, what's that forgiveness for? For our error, our wrong. The Bible calls it sin. It's rooted in selfishness. We end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. Well, Jesus has paid the penalty. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid for that with his death on the cross, rose again on the third day, and by, raise, by rising again and beating death, it was a declaration that all of his teachings are true and he is in fact who he says he is. If you'd like to receive that free gift of forgiveness right now in this moment, on the count of three, wherever you are, wherever you are watching, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and then put it right back down. I know it might seem odd in your home or at a park or cafe, wherever you are, that's even possible at this point. Why don't you slip up your hand? One, two, three, if that's you, just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. God, you see these hands, and most importantly, you see these hearts, and I thank you. We are forgiven forever in a moment. God, I thank you. What we're talking about is not religion. This is a real relationship with you we have just entered into, and what will guide our life is not principles but a person, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen.